What's going on, everybody? Happy Hump Day. Blaine and Mickey on your radio. Yeah, you made it halfway through the week. Congratulations. Technically, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's a little after 1 o'clock. Maybe you've already had your, you know, your sandwich. So you're in the home stretch of Wednesday. You're more than halfway through the week. By the time you hear our voices on Wednesday, I mean, you're cruising. You're downhill. You're running towards the weekend. I got to ask you something, Blaine. Should we start the show today? Uh-oh. So, so there's, lot, there's lots to get to. We're going to get to all of it, I promise you. We will get to all the things that are worth getting to. But I, but I wanted to ask you this. <laughs> what, that's just a happy Wednesday? That's what we're getting happy to. Wednesday, happy everybody. Wednesday. It was a happy Wednesday. Okay, happy, happy Wednesday. Wednesday. Before, before we get started. Okay. <laughs> now I have to ask you something. Uh-oh. So there's a report uh, today. There's lots to get to. So Ian Rappaport reports Julio Jones is getting treatment on a leg injury. His status versus the Jets is up in the air. What leg injury? Just leg injury. He's tight. Tight, I guess. He oh. didn't mention tight. Oh, but, oh, but he's not on injury report? Uh, we'll see the injury report today. Maybe, oh, okay. maybe he is. Okay. Maybe he is. He's got a full body cramping. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that. but I, well, I've had a cramp in my leg, though, before. So he's got a, le- a leg injury. His status versus the Jets is up in the air. A.J. Brown, oh, this is all per rap sheet. A.J. Brown may also miss a week or two with a hamstring injury. Uh, I guess Mike Vrabel got asked first thing. He offered nothing specific at practice. He was later asked specifically about Julio. He said, basically, we're not going to address that anymore. I got Lucas, I tweeted the whole quote from Mike Vrabel. If you want to get that, it's it's seven or eight seconds. But he goes back to, everything's my responsibility. I'm not talking about it anymore. Here was what, And we can you know, get my to that. Decision and- my decision. Here's what I wanted to ask you. Because anytime something like this comes out, you know, this guy can't play, this guy can't play, this guy may be out. People look at the schedule and they just say, oh, the Jets, they're 0-3. So everybody's tweeting everybody, posting on my Facebook page. It doesn't even matter who plays against the Jets. Can you advise those people, all of them, that the Jets suit up 53 paid individuals on their roster who are all NFL football players? And I would remind people to think back no further than the Bengals game last year when they had people who didn't know each other playing on the right, offensive line. The yeah. They were 1-5-1, and one, and they boat raced the Titans. They did. After everybody said, oh, they got Quentin Spain Thursday. What's he going to do? We started, and he played great football. Well, to the fans, you know what I'm going to do. Stop that. <laughs> Just stop it. I re- Every player I wrote down, stop that. knows daggone well. You'd never do that. Yep. You better prepare as though they are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Kansas City Chiefs, and people are going to laugh about that. Because guess what? They are capable because why? They're in the NFL. And if you give them life, a young team life, uh-oh, you're going to be in for a battle. So they better, you know, get after them early. And then the de- <coughs> excuse me, then the team will tank. Uh, but uh, – Right now, going into the game, you got to take them seriously. I mean, they have Corey Davis. You, you think Corey Davis uh, is not a good player? I think Corey Davis is a pretty good player. I think their defensive line is Quentin Williams. I mean, he's a pretty good player. Pretty good pro, player. Pro, pro, pro Bowl player. Yeah, I'd like to have him. So their defense, I think, gets tired throughout the game. They are really solid on that side. They have some young players. They're growing. So that may be to an advantage to the Titans, uh, you know, getting them early in the season. And naturally, the quarterback, Wilson, is a youngster. And their offensive line is not very good. But, yeah, every team is dangerous. And I'm going to say that every time we play a team that's zero wins to ten wins, you can get beat by anybody in the National Football League. They have some super talent. They get, they get it in their hands. They can make, make it, you know, problems for you all day long. So, 
No, they better take this game just as serious as the last game of, you know, the Seahawks. The other thing, too, or is whoever else. It, the Titans really are the Colts. They kept the Colts in the game all day. I mean, if you look statistically, they dominated that game, but they, they turned the ball over. They kept the Colts in the game. You got a quarterback with no legs. Yeah, no, ankles. no ankles. No ankles. <laughs> and he, he was getting rid of the ball. I mean, he was at least trying to keep things moving as well as he could. But if you're playing the kind of football where you depend on a running back, which they do, and you turn the ball over and you're not forcing turnovers, the Wilson kid at the Jets, that kid could get hot. I mean, he started out well. He just kind of is – people got tape on him now in a game. It's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, he's targeting, uh, you know, Corey Davis a lot. A lot. Yeah, he has a couple TDs too, by the way. So, I, I just – that drives me crazy. But I, I get it, the fandom. I get you know, it too. You know, people look – you know, but this is not like, you know, college where – Oh, you know, we're we're six and one and they're one and six. They're not a good team. Yeah, you're right. In the NFL, even if you are over, I mean, like, even when what was the team? Uh, was it the Browns or the Bengals went 0 and 16? Who was it? Browns. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. You better come and bring your A game. I, I, I'm literally serious in the National Football League. And if they go out there and leg, you will get beat. And go back and look, that, that Browns team, I think they lost probably six, seven games by uh, at least five points or less. So they were in games. They just didn't know how to close. They didn't get the breaks. They didn't believe they could win. So you you don't want to give a team like the Jets, a young team, up-and-coming team, probably in a couple years they're going to be pretty good, uh, any life. They're early. I mean, halftime, you want them to be out of the game. If they're in it, if it's 14 to 10 at halftime, mm, ooh. Oh, I'm going to get real nervous. And I always get really nervous about these games because I know how fans think. But some players, it's just natural habit to think that way, especially younger players. You think this is going to be an easy one, kind of take a mental break and kind of don't do the little things right at practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not a variable coach team. They better not. I, I, boy, he'll have you out there on the out there. You'll be unemployed. You, you brought up those Browns. You know who played them that year? Tennessee Titans. You remember what the score of that game was? I do not. Dude, you usually remember this. You're our nah, director of remembering remember. as well. Byron had an interception. I'm going to get that right. <laughs> I think he always gets the interception. One time he had three, right? <laughs> he did. The Titans beat them 12-9. to And they didn't win a game that year, and they only won like one the year before. That was that stretch, the, the horrible, horrible stretch. They lost by – they beat them by three points. And I remember like – Everybody freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, you can't beat the Browns. Right, and, they, and because you, all the pressure is on you at, in the fourth quarter, and it's close. So they have an advantage. They're playing loose. Nobody expects us to win. Oh, dude, it was 12, it was 12 to 3 in overtime. It was 12 to 9, rather, in overtime. The Titans won it in overtime on a suck-up field goal, 12 to 9. It was 9 to 9. Against the team that didn't win a game that year. That was the Bayard three-interception game, right? I think it was that game in Cleveland. Deshaun Kevin Kaiser. Bayard had three in interceptions. That that, so think about that, guys. He had three picks. They only won a game basically because what Bayard did that day because he kept spoiling drives for the Browns and handing yeah. the ball back. <laughs> I mean. And everybody's like, oh, that team was the worst team. Alabama could have beat them. No, they couldn't have. <laughs> no, they could not have. <laughs> That's the other thing. Stop that. 
that the greatest team ever in Alabama history could have beat that team. So everybody, oh man, I think that no, no, they can't, no, they can't, no, they can't, no, they can't. Now, what I will say is, oh, they can hang with them for a half, and after that, you you you'll start seeing why they're NFL players, and everybody's gonna say, well, Alabama, all their players are NFL. No, not all of them, just half of them. <laughs> At that time, they really didn't have any elite quarterbacks back then. I think Lane Kiffin had something to do with that. Well, I, people get, if you're a college football fan especially, when your team plays the worst teams in the conference, you just know they're going to win. And, this, you know, the spread's 32 points or something ridiculous. Or they play some yeah. directional school. They play my school. Or my school. And, 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 they, and they beat them up pretty good. And they pay the team $1.8 million and they move on their way. The NFL doesn't have those days. Everybody is an NFL player. They're all getting paid. They're, you've pointed this out a bunch of times. If you make it to this level, you are as fierce a competitor as there is walking the earth. You don't just forget how to compete. Like, pull one of those guys out and go, we're going to play ping pong. They'll play you all day till they beat you in ping pong. Dominoes, Whatever. horseshoes, Cars, uh, anything. Yeah. These are the most competitive people on earth who are getting paid to be professional football players. It, it may be bad coaching, maybe a bad collection. It, it may be any chemistry number of chemistry, or, you know, scheme. Yeah, it, it could be a lot of things, but it's a it's a big difference between college and pro players and, and the competitive nature that you're at. It's almost, uh, man, I, I want to give it the term cancer. It's like unhealthy, like it's unhealthy, like because you're doing it at everything that you do. And I'm talking about even when you're away from the practice facility or a game. It's like you can't stop it. I had to turn that off. I had to turn it, just turn it off. I go try to play a hoops game at 40. Oh, man. Somebody starts talking smack. I try to turn it up. I'm like, uh-oh, I better stop. Mm-mm. Don't do it. Don't do it. Up, oh, did it anyway. Up, oh, wake up next day. Ankle, knee, back swollen. Yeah, back swollen. Don't it's, do it. If you want to know, I, I've always used this as the example. Because people are like, yeah, that guy stinks. That guy's not any good. That guy, I could, I'm better than that guy. And the greatest example, you and I have talked about this. <laughs> you know that guy? <laughs> you know we all know that guy. Social media has given that guy a voice unlike ever before. I've always, you and I have talked, and I've always given you this example. Everybody who ever rooted for a college basketball team or went to college or cared about a college basketball team, there's always that guy or a couple guys on the end of the bench that never get to play or they only go out and play at the end of a game or on senior night in their last night or whatever. And, and, and there's always some guy talking junk about, that guy sucks. They should give me that scholarship. Okay, okay. Well, inevitably, when that guy's eligibility is done, he shows up over at your PE building one day or your or on an intramural team. On an intramural team. <laughs> you realize how good that guy and is. And that fool smokes you. <laughs> that guy scores 42 points exactly. in like a game of eight-minute quarters. You're like, oh, you'd be like, you were, you were on the team? You were that good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was good. Yeah, but we had some really good players. Right. I, yeah, I was like the 10th guy on the bench. But, you know, hey, when I got in there, I made you know most of my opportunities. And here's the thing. <laughs> like, when that guy ooh. got in there, everybody else guarding him was a college basketball player, too. He shows up at your, whatever you call the place where you play pickup okay. basketball at your college. Why, wherever. And that guy just smokes you. <laughs> all those guys can dunk a thousand different ways. They can all shoot it. They can all handle the rock. Yeah. You can't shoot over them. I, I saw one of my friends get embarrassed like that one day off the 15th guy, 14th guy, I think is what you had, 14th guy on the roster. That guy came over and smoked a whole gym full of people for an afternoon. And somebody, when he was leaving, shook his hand and said, hey, man, 
sorry, I've been yelling, you suck for these last four years. <laughs> Guy's like, it's all good, bro. I'm used to it. <laughs> that dude, he destroyed those guys. Yeah, yeah. He got them. Gives you a good perspective on that. So don't ever take anybody lightly, nope. regardless of their, their record or nope. how much playing time they get. Stop yeah, that. You gotta treat them just like they're the starters. John Bryce, he never stops putting out great information. He said to join us next from Football Scoop, so we'll get into all things college football. You do not want to miss it. John Bryce next. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. John Bryce said to join us uh, from Football Scoop. Hey, Bryce, um, first of all, how in the world are you doing? Oh, it looks like he's getting him. We are getting John Bryce. Yeah, you don't see him on the screen. His name is. Oh, there he goes. We got John Bryce now. Bryce, how in the world are you doing, man? Good to hear from you. Technical. I'm doing great. I'm uh, learning new things just by joining your show. I did not realize Nashville had a new six two nine area code, and I told Lucas, and and you'll get this reference. It's like that Seinfeld episode where Elaine gets her area code changed from the two one two, and she's uh, quite terrified by it. Blaine laughs at me all the time because of how small my town was. My town was so small, Bryce, you didn't even have to dial the first two digits of the area code. You just dialed the last number. It was 578, and you only had to dial eight in the number. There weren't even enough people to need the whole area code. See, I grew up with my grandparents in northeast Tennessee near Kingsport, and it was the same thing. You just dialed like five plus the last four digits. You didn't dial a full seven-number telephone number. We're blowing young people's minds right now. Hey, let's um, let's hey, get. I'm still young. I'm still young. <laughs> yeah, I, I know How you many are. stoplights did you have there, Bryce? Uh, in my grandparents' community, there were no stoplights when I was growing up. So, um, yeah, it, it was pretty rural out near Volunteer High School up in Hawkins County, Tennessee. Oh, so you're you're the third person I know that did, didn't have any or none. You, Mickey, and Lorenzo Neal. <laughs> you were well, Lorenzo did place. a little better than. Lorenzo did a little better than Mickey and I, but uh, I'll take that company. Uh, That's true. Uh, Lorenzo probably still play fullback in the league today. Hey, let's start with this. So, so in the middle of the night, Greg Sankey he goes to a parking garage in a trench coat and he meets the Texas and Oklahoma people there, and they have some you know meeting under the cover of darkness, and then, uh, then SEC media days happen, and this all gets leaked out that they're joining the SEC. And seems like before that, Bryce, we'd have this handshake agreement by everybody that a 12-team playoff was a great thing for everybody, and this was going to – they're just going to rubber stamp it at this meeting that's coming up, and everything's great. Well, after the meeting with Sankey, Texas and Oklahoma, all that just seems to be blown to heck right now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the optics are what they are, and we hear these uh, giant sports league commissioners talking about the optics so often, and – whether Oklahoma and Texas approached the SEC or whatever the, the way it was that played out, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people looking around the country that sees that group of people bragging about how they kept it quiet for basically two years, that they were on the verge of expanding to 12. And then within weeks of that news coming out, we find out, oh, yeah, and we're adding Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC as well. And a lot of people started to look around and say, okay, even if that's on the up and up, it sure doesn't look like it was on the up and up and how much self-interest is being served here. And I think that's, that's what we're looking at. And I'll be honest with you. I've talked with some 
football coaches, and we might have referenced this over the summer in one of our last visits, but I've talked to some football coaches who don't want to see it expanded to 12 and who have said their players aren't in agreement with seeing it expand to 12 teams. So there's still absolutely considerable work to be done. And it's funny, you got the schedule and alliance and – I mean, you got so much stuff going on right now that is all just a shell game or just window. It, it, it's just all so crazy, like jealous people in a high school lunchroom. Well, if the Big Five is ever going to break away, like the rumor keeps happening, and they're going to get away from the evil NCAA and all that stuff, at some point they're going to have to learn to park their cars in the same lot and get along with each other. Yeah, I mean, that that's a great point. And I do think that we are inevitably heading for like a Super 70 or a Super 80 I don't know that there's a way to avoid it with, with the way things are evolving and changing. And um, I, I think it's a difficult road there, but I think it's absolutely one that's going to happen uh, in the next few years. But they do all have to get along. And again, I just can't stress enough that when those guys are on a call talking about how well they've kept this secret and how well they've worked together for two years and they're in the same room having these meetings all over the country. And then a couple of weeks later, the linchpins of the big 12 are bolting to join the sec. It just undercuts the trust from, from everybody involved. And then you have the allegations against ESPN being involved and trying to play uh, de facto matchmaker. I mean, ESPN was out there treating uh, allegedly treating some of these schools like an episode of the bachelor and uh, trying to pair them up and see who was going to get, not the last rose, the last football fee. <laughs> oh, my goodness. John Bryce joins us at John D. Bryce 1 on Twitter. <laughs> well, John, I guess let's talk about something positive. And through three, uh, three you know, uh, weeks, I guess, or so uh, here in uh, college football, who's your Heisman leader? You got a top three at this point? Or is it too early? Um, you know, I've got Matt Corral really high up there I, I don't know how you could not um i'm telling you he needs to make one or two more big plays and maybe it's this weekend um in the top 10 showdown between notre dame and cincinnati but me personally i would have kyle hamilton on my heisman trophy ballot top five anyway he's the best college football safety i've seen since eric berry Ooh. and that i've seen extensively since eric berry he is ridiculously gifted um, he's so rangy. He does things at, at 6'3", 6'4", as a safety that, that none of us is accustomed to seeing. He's a new wave of defensive back, and he's made some of the most athletic, incredible plays to intercept passes and also make fourth down stops in key situations already just this season that I've seen. So I've got Matt Corral up there. I would have uh, Kyle Hamilton up there. And then I would um, probably have to think, pretty long and hard about who my third person would be out there. Um, you can't give it collectively to the Georgia defense, but I think the Georgia defense is the single most dominant unit in all of college football right now. Well, naturally, college football is, uh, is four, four weeks in, and now they're going on the fifth week. Uh, but uh, what's your overview of UT at this point uh, in the season? Um, you know what? I think that they uh, – I, I give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel and that coaching staff because I watch that team and that program, and I obviously still talk to people there, and I see a much greater buy-in than what we've seen in several years. And I also see guys that appear to be having more fun and playing with more freedom on the field. And you hear successful programs talking about playing with 
freedom on the field and playing with more fun and playing more loosely and just reacting and not overthinking. And I think that, uh, quite frankly, I know from talking to people that were on those coaching staffs and talking to former players, the fun and the joy had been zapped from that program in recent years. And, and look, it's not fun when you're losing, uh, but you still have to find that element of fun and find a way to to let that translate to the field and have it help you win games. So I've been impressed with what that staff has done. I think that um, it's still a roster with a whole lot of holes, but um, they do have good buy-in, and I think they are playing with really good effort, um, and they've just got a really long way to go. Yeah, I believe they're on the right track. Just get some uh, recruiting, get some depth there. But uh, who do you think, if both are healthy now at this point, Hooker or Milton, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback? You know, I think it's Hooker. Um, I don't think we've seen anything for, from Hooker to lose the job. He didn't drop passes in key situations last week at Florida that wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game, but certainly would have changed the tenor of the game and certainly uh, wouldn't have left Florida scoring the final uh, 24 or 28 points in that game, whatever it was, I guess the final 28 points in that game. So um, I think we've seen growth from Tennessee. I think uh, Hendon Hooker is just a little more accurate and just a little bit more in command of things right now. Um, and you've got to have mobility behind that offensive line because, yes, it did some good things in the running game at Florida, but it hasn't consistently done those things. Um, and it also still has some holes and still has some development that it needs to do. But I think it's Hooker. I think he's earned that right. Um, and I would expect him to be the guy moving forward as long as he's healthy. Why has it been uh, so much uh, turnover, I guess, in the top 25 and this year, good or bad, in, in college football? Is this good or bad? You know, I think it's good for sure. Um, I think the whole reason we opened the show talking about a, a potential 12-team playoff or an 18-team playoff is because the, the sport needs parity and it needs more people uh, people and programs to feel like they've got a chance to to have a seat at the big table at the end of the year. Um, I think there are a number of reasons for it, Blaine. The, my favorite stat so far this year uh, in college football is that 10 FCS, so 1AA teams, have already beaten 10 FBS teams. Um, and obviously you had one happen right there in Nashville, but then you saw Montana go win at then top 20 Washington. Um, you've seen some Jacksonville State go win at Florida State. Um, so you've seen some really good wins for those programs. South Dakota State absolutely hammered a Colorado State team uh, that then also lost at home to Vanderbilt. So I love the parity that we're seeing, and I've had coaches pointed out to me, um, it will surprise nobody I wasn't smart enough to pick this up on my own, but I had multiple college coaches point out to me the fact that, hey, there's more older players than ever before around the country because of the COVID season, and there's also – more players, more older players at those 1AA teams. So nobody's on an 85 scholarship limit, and those F FCS teams aren't on their normal 64 scholarship limit. They're allowed to, to grow over that. So that Jacksonville State team, for example, to beat Florida State, had 19 fourth- and fifth-year juniors and seniors on it. And that's, that's unheard of for a, a, a roster that's normally 64 men um, and 64 scholarships. So I, I think those are the re a big reason why. I think there's older players around the country more, and that's making teams better. I had a, a coach, uh, an offensive coordinator, point blank, tell me last week, JB, right now, if you can have talent or old, you'll take the old. Yep, no doubt about it. Well, with John uh, Bryce uh, with Football School. 
Uh, Bryce, this is uh, an interesting time to be Lane Kiffin because, <laughs> you know, you, you've been this guy. You start getting jobs when you're young. Your dad is famous. You make some high-profile mistakes, but then you just kind of get on this run of you're this lovable guy. You you make Alabama's offense unstoppable. Then you go to FAU, and you make that a popular destination. Then you get back in the SEC. And you're just rolling along, scoring points, and suddenly you get blasted by Mike Wilbon. Uh, I was surprised to see him go as all-in as he did, uh, but I wasn't surprised at this point in his life to see Lane Kiffin take the high road on social media. Yeah, he took the high road on social media, and he took the high road an hour ago on the SEC coaches teleconference, like the call that I was uh, participating in before joining you guys. And um, it was uh, it was very interesting to see it be such a a seemingly visceral personal attack on the program, where where Will Bond just called him a flat out embarrassment and a clown, and um, really got after him. And you know, I bet Lane would tell you some of those adjectives applied to him earlier in his career. Um, now the way he left Tennessee or the disjointed relationship with the Oakland Raiders, which I fully believe was, was due to both sides being guilty. And, um, but, but Lane is authentic in who he is and guys love playing for you, for him. I promise you from, from Nick Reves to Eric Berry to the Sullins twins, to any of those people that were on his Oh nine team at Tennessee, they really like that staff. They really liked playing for him, and that's what he gets out of his kids. And, and you see guys that stick with Lane Kiffin, and they develop a loyalty to him. I think Lane has matured. He would tell you that. Um, I, I certainly hope he's being sincere and, and believe that he's being sincere with um, talking about the religious changes in his life and the, the approach that he wants to take. And he's great for the sport. The guy will do anything to market his school and market the sport uh, and he's very uh, genuine, I think, in his praise of others, particularly Nick Saban. Yeah. Um, there are some people who think maybe all eyes have been on the wrong people, that maybe Lane Kiffin, if Saban ever says, okay, I've had enough, that Lane Kiffin might be the guy who gets the call from the Crimson Tide. You know, that's certainly an interesting uh, potential scenario. We have to continue to see what Lane Kiffin does at Ole Miss, he's certainly riding uh, a great wave of momentum, a lot of it that he's been able to engineer organically by opening up his program and by, again, constantly marketing his program and being very visible on social media and doing those things. Um, but, you know, whenever that Alabama job comes open, it's going to have no shortage of candidates anywhere in the country. But when you talk to people at Alabama, they still talk about saving coaching five, six more years and potentially who knows how much longer than that. But um, they talk about how they've seen them re-energized by what some other programs have done and, and how the game has changed and that um, he really prides himself on being able to outwork the youngest, hardest working coaches and recruiters in the business. I think that's um, very revealing of why Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. It's just like John Bryce of football school. Nobody, <laughs> nobody outworks him. He's joining us now on Blaine and Mickey. Well, naturally, John, uh, Missouri's up next for Tennessee. And uh, I guess, uh, how do you see this game playing out? Because this is a winnable game, but it is on the road. Probably two evenly matched uh, teams. Uh, you think uh, Tennessee can pull this one off? You know, I think it's definitely a winnable game. That's a, that's a good way of putting it, Blaine. I expect it to be a really high-scoring game. I think both these teams 
will really throw up some points on one another. And I would expect it to be a really a one possession game going into the fourth quarter. And, and Tennessee has to win the turnover battle, in my opinion, and it cannot get behind um, by more than a touchdown or, or 10 points early in the game. So it has to has to steady itself early, which it certainly did for 30 minutes against Florida, uh, and then it has to win the turnover battle. But I really think that both of these teams, I, I think Drinkwitz does a, a really nice job and, and has some great offensive concepts. I think you're seeing that defense in transition because he lost his defensive coordinator to Brett Bielema in Illinois in the offseason. Um, so I think that's part of Missouri's struggles there. And I think you're seeing some really good uh, interesting offensive concepts from from Josh Heupel and Alex Golish and, and Alex Halsey or Joy Halsey at the University of Tennessee. So um, I haven't seen the over. I haven't paid attention to it. I know Missouri's favored by uh, a handful of points, but I would probably lean toward the over in this game because I expect it to be a shootout. Man, I know Don Davenport. She's wondering what's going on at Auburn. I mean, they barely squeaked by Georgia State. You bench your quarterback, fire wide receivers, coach man. What the heck is going on down there with Brian Arson? Yeah, um, and the fact of the matter is they were um, probably aided by a, a ref bailout to, to beat Georgia State. If you go back and study that controversial play and that reception that set up the, the game-winning score that kept Auburn alive, um, it's very dubious to say the least. And um, there are copies floating around out there that we didn't see as part of the TV broadcast that I think remove any doubt about whether or not that pass was complete. So. Uh, look, Auburn's in transition. You, it's very rare that you go replace a fired coach because you're walking into a great situation. And obviously, Auburn believed it was trending the wrong direction under Gus Malzahn when they decided to part ways with him with a $20 million price tag. Um, Brian Harson has put together a, a really appealing veteran staff, especially like Mike Bobo and Derek Mason there. But there's work to do. Just It's not in as bad a shape as a Tennessee or Vanderbilt but there's certainly work to do for Brian Harson and that staff. Um, everybody I've talked to, college coaches, said there just wasn't a great mesh between Harson and um, his wide receivers coach, Cornelius. And um, so you make that move now because um, if you're the head coach and you believe it's the right move to make, you don't let it fester any longer. You're early in your tenure. You're still a- establishing your culture. Those are the things you have to take care of now sooner than later. Um, I think the – Tennessee-Missouri game this weekend is is really crucial for each of those programs for what they're trying to do this season. And the Auburn-LSU game is similarly crucial crucial because, look, Brian Harson's in the first year of a rebuild at Auburn. Ed Ordron has a tremendous amount of growing pressure on him each and every week at LSU, uh, both because of the things that have transpired off the field there and also because of the way they were physically manhandled early in the season at UCLA. So that, that game is a long-standing great rivalry, but it's compelling for a number of subplots. Mm, man, well, I like to see uh, you know the programs uh, who are at the bottom now, kind of easing up to the middle ranks and trying to go to the next level. In Arkansas and Ole Miss, both tough matchups this week. Who has the better shot of an upset? Arkansas versus Georgia, or Ole Miss versus Bama. You know, it's. I would probably slightly say Ole Miss has a, a better shot at the upset. Um, I just think that the Georgia's defense is so good um, that they make teams play so ugly and, and just don't let them sustain drives. I think that's going to be more difficult um, for Arkansas. And Arkansas is coming off an incredibly emotional win in which it invested so much and played at a neutral site last week against a traditional rival 
and Texas A&M. I mean, the Hogs have already beaten Texas and A&M and Rice, so I guess they're Lone Star State champions. But um, now it's a tough task for them to have to go on the road to Athens. So um, I think Georgia might be the best team in the country. I don't have any doubt that Georgia right now has the best defense in the country. Um, And we saw Lane Kiffin with a lesser Ole Miss team push Alabama to the max last year. Um, I think there's a belief that he can push them to the max again this year. Russ, I think that makes him Southwest Conference champions for 2021. Yeah, I I know. Maybe they get like a ceremonial oil derrick or something. I'm not sure what the trophy is. I grew up in Arkansas, man. I remember the the Southwest Conference. I mean, literally, it's the state I grew up in and then every school in Texas. It, It was a funny, strange feeling. And what an odd lineup. But, boy, they played some great football in that league back in the day. And... Uh, you know, bought players some amazing gifts and everything else. We saw the death penalty come out of that league. Yeah, you weren't you part of Pony Excess, Mickey? Didn't you? Didn't you have a hand in that? <laughs> oh man, none of that cash ever filtered or Trans Am's never made it to my driveway. Uh, Bryce, great stuff, man. We love catching up with you at John D. Bryce. One or all over it on Football Scoop with all the latest on college football. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Appreciate it, Bryce. Hey, thanks a ton, boys, and uh, best wishes to everybody there in the Music City. I appreciate it. Yes, sir, John D. Bryce. When we come back, I did a little digging. Um, What did the Titans rookie class do on Sunday? How well did it perform? I'll share that information next. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Um, we'll get the injury report for practice today because the Titans are back at practice. That thing will drop at, I don't know, like 258 or whatever. I, I still don't know what Marcus Johnson's uh, uh, you know, injury was. Uh, you know, I always want to say Marcus Johnson. I think of the Milwaukee Bucks. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> he was M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, the, the greatest spelling of Marcus ever. And kids, you don't remember Marcus Johnson. He was the smoothest player in the nba when he played marcus johnson was an incredible basketball yeah, him player. and like uh adrian dantley adrian dantley was another great basketball player they had their games were somewhat similar yeah just didn't shoot the same with free throw line but like lanky long jump athletic could score points from anywhere gosh oh man yeah, yeah. mark i don't know what marcus johnson's injury was I still don't. They never, I remember we looked and it just said undisclosed which that I, never happens how can they do that I don't understand that. No, I I think it'll have to be disclosed today. Like, if I'm on another team, I want to know his injury. Sure. You're going to exploit it. Well, if I have an opportunity. To attack it. Yeah, I'm going to attack it, see if he's. I'm trying to get in his head, get in his confidence. I think they. If it's knee, ankle, you know, I'm I'm always tackling and coming from that angle anyway in the open field. Hey, man, how's your leg doing? (laughs) Seriously. I, People think, you know, every time I do something like that, they think, oh, man, that's so cool. No, no. that's exactly how it is. Yes. Like, hey, man, uh, yeah, I want to know where he's at. I read every skill position player's injury report every week, leading all the way up to the game. They had a lower extremity. I'm like, hey, man, hopefully we can get his head, tackle him, and say, hey, man, how's your ankle doing? <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, watch out. So this this came out earlier today. Uh, Marcus Johnson, uh, he practiced. Darrington 
Evans, what? both eligible to come off the practice squad oh, this week. And, teasing me. Did and they Brady, practice? And Brady Breeze. He was another one because he started on the COVID list, then he went to IR. I don't want to know semantics. Are they practicing now? All we care about is if they're playing. Has, like, I'm a fan. Just are you playing? I have to find that out. Uh, Mike Vrabel <laughs> said, so here's what happened. The Titans, no mention of Darrington Evans, so maybe his deal where he didn't get ticed again and ran out of bounds. And he, he, they didn't mention him. Titans made the following transactions today, though. Brady Breeze and Marcus Johnson are the return-to-practice list. Ooh. Off of IR. So Marcus Johnson returned to practice today or, or could, and I would think he's not off that list unless he could go out there and do something. So Marcus Johnson and Brady Breeze came off of IR today. So here's what happened. Yes. They have 21 days now to poo or to get off the pot with them. I guess they have to go back on IR and stay there if they can't come back in 21 days. So I they think it's vital for Marcus have to Johnson excrete to or retreat. Especially how well he played in uh, training camp at practices and everything. So it's an opportunity he's probably been waiting for. So A real opportunity. Evans will get a little pass because of uh, a draft pick, but, man, I would want him off of it, too, give it a little change of pace guy, the, the king. So this is um, – so according to Adam Schefter, A.J. Brown's strained hamstring expected to be week to week. Julio Jones um, is getting treatment on a leg injury undisclosed. It says his status versus Newark is up in the air. So Julio didn't play in the fourth quarter. Um uh, Bud Dupree didn't play at all in the game. Those are your two biggest free agent acquisitions. Neither one of the go- those guys played. And I thought, okay, those are new guys. Julio didn't finish. Dupree didn't play. Big money free agents. I thought, how did the rookies do? So I went back and I looked at all the snap counts for the rookies. So this one's easy. Farley didn't play. He's your first pick. Raidens didn't play. He's your second pick. Monty Rice played zero snaps on defense, but he played 13 on special team. Elijah Molden played 10 snaps on defense and five on special teams. Des Fitzpatrick is on the practice squad. Rashad Weaver broke his leg. So he was playing. Though. He was out there on defense. He was out there playing. Racy McMath played more than any. He played 17 offensive snaps and 15 on special teams. Racy McMath. Who would have guessed that? And, and all of us, everybody. I would have got that wrong. Everybody. If you had said week three. Which draft pick will play the most snaps? If you ask 100 people, none of the 100 would have said, in this preseason, none of them would have said Racy McMath. I would have think most of them would have said he's not even going to be on the team. Brady Breeze is on IR but designated to return now. That's your rookie class. Nothing from one, nothing from two. Monty Rice, the first pick in the third round, played no snaps on defense. Elijah Molden, the, the second guy, played 10 snaps on defense. And Des Fitzpatrick, what, fourth-round pick? Mm. He got cut. Richard Weaver. He played, broke his leg. McMath, that dude played more than all of them. Well, (laughs) man, that means it's a veteran team that got some bets out there playing, keeping them from playing. Uh, The guys not dressing uh, would concern me, especially the first two-round guys. Uh, That would be concerning. Yeah. Uh, Because last year we all know what Panda who signed with the Giants practice squad. Giants practice squad, Isaiah Wilson. That is a real thing that happened on earth today. Yeah. And it, 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 you know, it moved too when that happened. The, <laughs> the earth, earth moved. It moved. <laughs> but, uh, you know, good for him. And hopefully he doesn't, uh, you know, mess up this opportunity. Uh, you know, it's only so many opportunities you're going to get when you're a big athletic guy. So we'll see if he got his uh, head together and everything else. But, uh, yeah. You know, Rabel's doing a heck of a job with the current roster 
with not a lot of help from you kind of listed not just draft picks, but even free agents. And Josh I mean, Reynolds. But, but Dupree, remember I said we were going to have to kind of slow down the roll and kind of yeah. gradually get him back into the mix. Uh, it was great seeing him what he was doing. And, man, he was way ahead of schedule. But your body only can do so much, um, especially the effort he gives uh, yeah. and, the, and the motor that he has. Uh, and then Julio set the fourth quarter. A.J. Brown's been, you know, nicked up this game. Last game he had the dropsies. Nobody played well in the first game. Uh, so, yeah, it was, and he's just coming up ways to, to win. That's why I think Vrabel is so upset at this point because he knows they can't continue to win like that. Yeah. And then for people just to make assumptions that they're going to beat the Jets, is he he knows that. Yeah, you're talking about did he watched uh, Eli Payne Man. I didn't get to watch Monday Night Football at all when I was playing. So I can't imagine what coaching is like. I remember studying film at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only reason why I would watch Monday Night, though, if we were playing our opponent the next week. Oh, sure, but that's film stuff. I, I, I I, yeah, but that's film said I'm going to try to get a little, you know, head start. Uh, so that's kind of interesting that, you know, people believe that he <laughs> has a lot of uh, leisure time. Really? Yeah, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Do they understand how many hours these guys, and I'm talking about coaches, all coaches are putting in? Man, if you leave like at 9... They'd be like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> you you done with watching film? Sleeping on your office couch. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. That you all you don't have – your life is ball. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Our life is uh, – hour number one is done, and then our life continues for hour number two of this uh, two-hour sprint. Blaine and Mickey continues next in the second hour of the program. Jordan Dejani with NFL headlines, Titans headlines next.